0: Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco from the headquarters of Ametix Technologies based in Belgium. Today I'm not alone, I am with uh, Filip Pjanievski. Hi Filip, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? I'm good, I'm glad you are here. So, in fact, uh, this will be the last episode of 2019. I'm glad that I'm speaking to you, Filip, because uh, it's not the first time that you end up on this show. We had our last call probably more than a year ago.
1: Right, I think it
0: was uh, maybe June 2018 yeah in fact almost two years wow well time flies um so philip is a machine learning researcher uh, who's working on computer vision and ai uh currently at axel robotics uh is that correct yes that's
1: Axel robotics we're
0: building um, cashier less stores
1: autonomous stores so basically a machine you walk into and uh Pick up whatever you want, and it automatically knows what you've taken, so you can just leave, and it will automatically charge your credit card.
0: Wow, that's impressive. I mean, it's uh, the shop 2.0. zero. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so Philip and I already had a conversation on this very show, as I said. Uh, it was an episode titled Get Ready for AI Winter. It was not a very positive one in terms of, you know, the opinions that we had about that episode, um, and the, that was, if I remember well, episode 34, so feel free to listen to the episode again. You can get it from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and now also Spotify. Of course, references are usually available in the show notes of each episode and, of course, directly from the website datascienceatome.com. So, back to the AI winter. In the last call, Philip, you alerted all of us about the fact that deep learning might not be a sufficient technology, and probably not even an appropriate one, to solve the problem of intelligence, even more so artificial intelligence or artificial general intelligence. Now, in that episode, I remember that you have been quite clear about the hype that has been shared around artificial intelligence and the fact that you are one of those who simply don't buy it. So what has changed since our last episode?
1: Well, um, in certain ways, many things have changed and in, in other ways, not much has changed, really. Uh, I think there's still quite quite a lot of hype. Um, I, I think there's also some fair amount of disillusionment going on right now. Uh, with people, you know, questioning is, you know, is this progress as as amazing as as people anticipated? You know, startups are closing down, some of them. Um, We're still yet to see a self-driving car in in any significant deployment. Um, We're we're waiting for that and personally, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon with the current uh, technology.
0: Wow. So, in fact, 2019 was affected by some major events, you already mentioned a few, indeed in the domain of self-driving cars, uh, but also in other domains, you know, more generic domains uh, where we have been seeing players like OpenAI and DeepMind. We will speak about these folks in a minute. I want to mention and anticipate that OpenAI, and in particular, the GPT-2 model, currently considered the most sophisticated NLP technology out there. And we also uh, interviewed Aaron Gokaslan in uh, episode 79, if I'm not wrong, who replicated this model, which was considered by OpenAI the most dangerous model. We will speak about all these things in the episode. But let me start from self-driving cars, because that's what you have mentioned. And, um, you know, that is a promise pending still <laughs> on autonomous vehicles are we there already?
1: no I don't think we're we're any close um, so there's there's a couple of players right now um, it's hard to find out really what's going on within these companies because they're they're pretty secret secretive but um, from all from all that we know um, you know Cruise is one of one of the big players apparently they have lots of trouble and uh, there's lots of uh, corner cases they're trying to solve. Um, The big uh, one of the big ones is Tesla. Obviously, you know Elon Musk's been promising self-driving since 2015, I believe, or probably even earlier. Um, Well, we're we're yet to see it. Uh, There's uh, uh, some features are being rolled out in Teslas, um, like uh, navigation through the parking lot. And on one hand, it's it's incredibly impressive. I mean, in I'm I'm working on similar things and I know how hard it is to to get to get um you know technology to behave in a way that, that it currently does in Teslas. But on the other hand, you see all these all these situations where this technology just isn't enough. Um there's lots of cases where where people you know crash their cars in parking lots. Um they just don't understand some specific, uh, environment. They, they don't understand some, some motion, you know, people, people driving out of the parking lot. So there's lots of, lots of corner cases still to be ironed out. And then there's Waymo. Uh, Waymo is an interesting case. They've been quiet for a very long time, really. Um, it's a continuation of Google, Google self-driving car project, and they haven't been really very, you know, uh, outgoing in terms of you know what kind of technology they have. Quite recently, their valuation has been slashed by, by Morgan Stanley, I believe, one of the, the big investment banks, by 40%. And uh, quite co- coincidentally, right after the, that um, valuation change, they started uh, putting a lot more information on the web and they, they started showing that they are actually deploying these cars in the uh, Phoenix area. Uh, I don't know. It just seems a little um, coincidental to me that you know suddenly after this revaluation, they are so open to talk about their technology. I've actually visited Phoenix uh, uh, a couple months ago. saw saw a bunch of these cars driving around. I mean, Phoenix is a, is a very specific environment. So even if they are able to pull it off in that specific environment. Um, that still, to me, seems like many years from from deploying it everywhere. So it's at best um, very limited level for autonomous driving within within that suburb that they are testing it on. Um, Phoenix, you know, the streets are extremely wide. There's almost no people, especially in the summer. It's extremely hot. Um, I mean, it's a paradise for driving, really.
0: Uh, yeah. So it would be an easy an easy game for.
1: And the the weather is almost perfect every day, so hmm. uh, you know the fact that they they can manage that environment. Well, this still probably you know getting this to work in Europe, for example, in one of the busy busy c- cities, might be might be uh, you know another ten years away. Um,
0: well, they they should try but, Southern Italy if they want to have right, some right. serious in, difficulty. In Italy
1: probably will be <laughs> another twenty years away. Yeah. Um, so and and it's still not clear if, if these cars aren't really uh, you know still supervised I, I I don't know that for certain I don't know that firsthand but but you know I, I believe they wouldn't do it without somebody actually looking at the video feed and being ready to uh, take over if anything weird begins to happen so I think this is this is still in in its infancy really Um and the problem with self-driving car, you know, it's it's um, uh, it's really a long tail kind of problem, where it doesn't really matter if you can drive uh, safely for for five thousand miles or ten thousand miles. It doesn't matter if if uh, on, you know the 10, 000 first mile you you crash into something sure. and kill somebody. So <clears throat> it's it's very easy to get a demo working in, in this domain. There's been a number of startups doing this. Uh you know it's a matter of choosing the right area, the right the right suburb or or area where you'll be testing it and then um, you know, you can get to a self-driving car probably within a couple hours of of putting together some code. There's actually some open-source code out there which you can just download and pretty much put on your car, and and it will drive around until it will crash into something. So <clears throat> it's really hard, it's really hard to tell. You know, how far are we? Um, the, the I'm actually. Typically, putting together a post uh, from the data from California DMV, they actually collect um, the disengagement reports. Um, and the last one we had in 2019, Google had a, a safety-related disengagement every 11,000 miles. As much as this is extremely impressive, that potentially means that you know every 11,000 miles this car could potentially crash into something, and that's that's not good enough.
0: Not at all. Okay. So, as you have clearly summarized, your hype is still there. Uh, The companies who were supposed to deliver aren't actually doing it. Some of them, as you mentioned, have been running into financial issues, like uh, I also know about Drive.ai, for example. Right. So, my question is, why is this happening? And, you know, is there some kind of AI mafia for whom things have to keep running, even though they're not really moving any needle, or as you call it in your in, a, in your recent post, it's just an AI balloon that doesn't want to deflate yet.
1: Well, I'm I'm certainly not not in favor of some kind of mafia. I'm I'm not you know a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> the more I think about it, uh, it seems to me that it's related to the general economic uh, environment we're in. Uh, I think there's been a lot of investment that went into that space, and and people just aren't ready to say that these will be write-offs. Um, and you know, this this keeps going for a while um, until you know the money basically stops, and um, has it hasn't stopped yet. But I think people are beginning to be nervous. Um, I could certainly see that in in certain places some investors are not uh, you know looking favorably into this AI space anymore so you know I certainly certainly the balloon hasn't popped yet but I think it's it's really beginning to deflate
0: so in fact you know in this uh, right here I would like to mention two companies in particular one is OpenAI Uh, as I mentioned they provided the best NLP engine so far, that still doesn't understand the language. And the other one, speaking about financial, uh, is DeepMind. If I remember well, they have lost some kind of half a billion only in 2019. Is that correct?
1: Right. Well, according to what they filed in Great Britain, at least.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, any company of... Do you think a company of that caliber would, you know... Is that a sign that investors should really consider as you know seriously or is just like too big to fail and and you know half a bill in fact is not so much for a company of that caliber what's your message on that
1: well <clears throat> with DeepMind, it's kind of a difficult uh, you know uh, not to crack because they are actually part of google um so you know it might it might be some kind of a situation where google is actually spending money uh because they have some projects going and then deepmind is is executing these projects and and they don't make many any any money on it um you know who knows what the accounting is uh it might it might just be stated you know that they that they've lost uh, half a billion dollars but it might not be that big of a deal. Um, certainly they're not running in a in an open open market environment where they actually need to make a profit in order to sustain themselves. Um, but uh, you know there's been articles popping around, and I don't have any insight into into what's going on inside google, but but from some of some of the the articles where obviously people who are um, cited were anonymous, it seems like some people in Google at least try maybe try to figure out what to do with Deepmind and maybe aren't impressed with with what they're doing. Um, you know currently they, they are still burning money and making promises but i don't think many people are impressed by you know starcraft playing starcraft or <laughs> any of that stuff yeah i think patience is running out for these guys
0: oh yeah for sure i mean if i were an investor i would have been already gone <laughs> okay so well uh, philip there is also another domain that is uh, much more critical if you allow me the term um, even though autonomous vehicles is definitely critical because of the impact and uh, the level of damage that, you know, not working algorithms can, can, can have in the community. But there is another one, which is healthcare uh, and pharmaceuticals probably. Uh, so what's happening with artificial intelligence in the healthcare domain? Because I remember that a few years ago, there was a promise pending also there of no more human doctors. So how's that going?
1: Right, so I, I should I should start um, by saying that I'm not I'm not a, an expert in that exact field. I'm not I'm not doing anything in medicine, so my my only information is pretty much what I get on Twitter from from guys who n- know better. Um, there's a couple couple people on Twitter who who follow this this area, um, so I'm really not not a big expert. But um, <clears throat> what I've seen. Um, you know, obviously, there's been these promises, some of them by Hinton, I guess, and, and then I guess repeated by Andrew Eng, that, you know, we no longer need to train radiologists. Uh, they become obsolete. And, well, it was easy to tell back then, and it's it's easy to tell now that these these sorts of statements are really not, not very smart, I should say. Um, um, I guess... Uh, maybe people don't know exactly what radiologists do, um, because it turns out to be a little bit more than just looking at a picture and uh, you know classifying it. Uh, but I guess I guess in, in more more general terms, uh, medicine is a it's a very specific field where um, you know you have to be very careful with statistics. Um, so people are trained. And most of the time, you know, when you go to a doctor, you think you think you're dying because there's something that hurts. But the doctor will say, yeah, that's not a problem. You know that I just had probably five patients that had the same thing. It's it's some kind of a, a virus that's running around the area. They have that extra knowledge, which is which is often very contextual, very related to the area they're working in. Um And also they can, they they sort of have the feel of of really what the statistical significance of of certain things is. Um, So unlike, you know, when when people read the the internet, obviously, you know, whenever something hurts, you read the internet and and you you immediately realize you have a cancer or something. (laughs) The doctors typically know, okay, that's, you know, the probability of that being actually cancer is actually probably 1% and 99% is that you know it's something else and uh, when you just read the, the literature y- you you often don't have that 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 balance in there um but i guess i guess with medicine it's often uh, the way i see it is, is that it's a it's often a conversation with a patient and so even a radiologist can look at a picture and there's something suspicious say on the picture they may ask a question uh you know, they can say, well, what is this? And the, the patient, goes, oh, you know, that's something I had uh, and and immediately remove this from even the area of interest, uh, which is not something any technology can do right now. So, you know, the way I think about it is that there's definitely useful classifiers which could um, help radiologists find things. Um but i don't think it's enough to say you know you don't need a radiologist anymore i guess there's just additional channels of information that need to be integrated in order to actually provide a patient with any significant diagnosis so i think still, still somebody needs to look at this picture interpret it you know within ask the patient additional additional questions um you know, is there an improvement? Is, can there be machines which will automatically highlight uh, areas of interest or any suspicious things? I'm uh, sure. I think so. Much like much like with self-driving cars, could there be, um, you know, systems which which help you when you're about to crash into something? They warn you against things you might not pay attention to. Sure. Yeah, for sure. For that kind of thing, I think AI is is ready. And it, it's 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 here to stay.
0: So, as a supporting tool, you're saying that AI could play a, a, an essential role, but not as a complete substitute of you know everyday life tasks that we perform as human beings.
1: Right. I think hmm. I think the general you know um, problem with AI right now is that it, it it's purely a statistical thing. Um, people or I guess intelligence or the nature of, of human intelligence is often not very statistical um, in the sense that, you know, we often make decisions on on a single instance of data. But if that instance is, f- for some reason, uh, very trustworthy, you know, we don't have to have a million examples. If you, if you drive around the area and then there's a sign saying that the road is closed, I mean, you don't have to Cross that road fifty times in order to find out that it's that it's closed. It's just closed. That's it. You proceed to something else. Um, and this this ability to just in an instant change the entire context of of what you're doing and and how you interpret things. Um, this ability to integrate context just immediately. Uh, I think this 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 is very elusive, and we we don't know how to do it.
0: I get your point, and uh, and uh, I fully agree with it, for sure. Now, there is another trend that we have seen, uh, you know, changing and, uh, and improving a lot in 2019, and that was hardware vendors. So, AI chips, GPUs, uh, Tensor floating-point unit, and stuff like that, they are becoming off-the-shelf and, um, and, and reaching basically any device. Now my question is: Is this trend, you know, in the hardware vendor domain, filling a gap of some sort, or making AI or AGI allow me the term more feasible?
1: It certainly helps uh, helps uh, implement the stuff we have um, on some uh, more up the edge hardware. So I should say this is probably great for certain applications, uh, even for the kind of stuff I'm doing right now. That's, that's, that's uh, often a very good thing. Now, that being said, I don't believe that, that what we have right now, which is you know, some form of a neocognitron often, is what will, what will necessarily solve AI or general AI. But it it, it the, these things these embedded you know neural nets, which can help detect things, they can definitely be useful, um, and and putting them on on dedicated hardware will will help, um, you know with with um, it's basically it's really really what matters here is the consumption of power, and. Um, especially on mobile devices where where the power budget is very tight such as mobile phones or even cars actually uh, having dedicated hardware is extremely beneficial because you can you can save power um on on more stationary applications where you have access to the to the power grid you know that might not seem like that's such a big problem but actually it often is problem if, if you are running these things 24 hours a day let's say it's a security camera with some AI feature on it um, and uh, you know let's say you want to d- detect something or car or whatever uh, in that security feed uh, this power bill actually adds up, adds, adds up very quickly so if you can if you can uh, ma- make it use less power, there's definitely going to be market for it and it's often often quite quite easy to justify um, that you have to buy this chip because you know otherwise you know in a month time your power bill is actually going to be be much higher so power is actually very important people don't typically think about it and um, you know people who, who do computer science they often have their bills just paid by their university or their company or whatever but but when you when you try to deploy these things in the field where you actually want to sell them to a customer that often becomes a very very important issue how much power these things consume
0: now philip with this said what is your realistic expectation in the coming year and by coming year i'm saying really 2020 not that far
1: Uh, I, i definitely expect um more of the same um Uh, I don't think we're going to have any significant deployment in self-driving cars in 2020. Um, Obviously, Elon Musk had uh, promised, uh, you know, a million Tesla robotaxis in in 2020. I don't believe it's going to happen. Probably, you know, other companies will also be very, very cautious in their deployments. Uh, What we should see is... The stuff I'm working on right now, these automated stores, um, that, should defi- that that will definitely happen because, again, with the automated store, whenever something goes wrong, you know, it's no big deal. First of all, things are reversible for the most part. If if somebody's been billed something they didn't take or whatever, you can always review the video feed and just fix it. Um, so there is no a uh, high penalty for for a mistake. And there's still pretty big convenience because as it turns out, you know, labor cashiers are are expensive and the market is absolutely gigantic for that kind of stuff. It actually is probably equally as big as the market for for drivers. Um but unlike unlike with drivers again there's no liability problem. It's it's much easier to get to something which is practical. You can deploy a store that's, let's say, ninety eight percent good, and that's that's enough um, for the most part. You know, everybody's going to be happy, even if it sometimes makes a mistake. Uh, <clears throat> so that, these sorts of things definitely will be will be getting deployed. Um, I I think the self driving car kind of song will will fade away slowly. Um, again it's very hard to predict the future maybe there's gonna be some (laughs) you know major maybe the stock market will crash and and the money will immediately stop flowing into these things who knows but uh, if if nothing nothing such happens then i would just say it will probably quick slowly just you know tune down and these companies had already become a lot more quiet i would say
0: yeah, it's true that when there is a lack of fund of funds, uh, you know, a lot of priorities will change or might change, and you know, probably they would put more of a of a grain of salt on things and and on claims for sure. I mean, that's that's a uh, an a filter. You know, funding is a filter on, right. the,
1: on and, the, priority. the the thing with self driving car, for example. It's it's really all or nothing. Um, right there there really isn't a way to to capture any economic value before the stuff is literally better than a human. yeah
0: um, absolutely. Or,
1: or or at least you know within the same order of magnitude as a human. and and I don't think we're any close. Um, and there's also diminishing returns where you know, to get together to get from 98% to 99% probably costs let's say a billion but getting from 99% to 99.9% costs another 10 billion and um, you know who 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 has the, the the resources to keep this going well i believe probably google will keep this going because they've been on it for more than 10 years now um, but some of these other players may may eventually quit
0: how about 2030, like in 10 years, what do you think uh, is going to happen? I know it's uh, it's uh, hard to make predictions, but my question is more like, are we on the right track and, you know, it's just a matter of time to see some great changes in the life of every day because of AI or on the other side, are we completely hyped, myopic and on the wrong track at all?
1: Well, <clears throat> so I think everybody's been really fascinated by this deep learning stuff um, and you know, there's reasons to be fascinated. Uh, I should say, even though I've been critical of the approach, uh, there's stuff for which this deep learning is really the best solution. I mean, if you if you need to quickly put together a classifier within the known set of of, of things you want to classify and. Uh, I mean, just put together something like a, like an AlexNet or something even smaller than that, and it will work really, really, really well. So, this stuff is definitely useful. Now, I think that after this this fascination uh, and and these uh, low-hanging fruits that that were apparently taken, I think we're getting to the point where people begin to realize that hey, this isn't really the answer, and, and there's something else we are missing. Um, so there's interesting stuff going on with with Gary Marcus. Um, he has been very active on Twitter and, and actually criticizing uh, deep learning. And then getting just recently, he had a debate with with uh, Benjo. Um, I didn't listen to the debate yet. I'm, I'm traveling, but uh, I saw a bunch of comments. No, nevertheless, I think it's important that this discussion even begins to take place. Um, so Gary Marcus is is more of a uh, symbolic uh, approach to AI. I, I wouldn't say I'd necessarily agree with the symbolic approach. There's definitely certain ways in which it's powerful, um, but it, he definitely has a fair criticism in, in in you know about these models such as GPT two. He actually you know exposed some of its its weakness. And you know, a guy's been working in AI for probably you know twenty years or something. So he knows he knows the weak spots of all these systems. And so he's able to to actually di- uh, dissect these um, um, you know deep learning miracles. Um, and i I think it's it's actually quite useful to see what the limitations are. and then to talk about these limitations. Now that doesn't help the investment thesis. Uh, so, you know if somebody wants to raise money they they probably you know the last thing they want to talk about is limitations of the technology but uh, in the scientific community that 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 discussion really needs to take place and it's probably slightly overdue already now obviously the question is if if it's not deep learning or if deep learning is not enough then what is enough and that that's a very interesting question to ask. Um, I think think people begin to ask that question, which is good. Um, I don't think anyone really has any good answer. Um, One of the things I've been proposing is is learning a very low-level model of vision, which would be um, trained in a different manner than than your typical neocognitron. I've been also proposing some benchmarks which we could put together such as you know for example uh, something which will try to um, quantify if a system is able to understand a visual scene one of one of such um, applications could be for example uh, assigning shadow to an object so again nothing like this happens um, nothing like like this uh, exists right now we don't have any data set which we could work with. So that would be the first first thing to try. Another such example is um, you know classifying if there's a mirror in in a picture. Um so you know, in and one could think that this should be easy, you know, just recognize the mirror by by the frame. But when you think about it, you know, the mirror could be really hidden in a in a different looking frame or 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 even without any frame, and what you need in order to understand that that question or answer that question, um, the system might need to understand that that certain parts of the image are actually reflections of other parts of the image and make that association. Again, it's something that's trivial to humans, and it's completely not solved by anything that's that's out there. So these are these are sorts of you know simple things we could we could start working towards, but. In order to, for that to happen, you first have to realize that the systems that we currently have, you know, are to, to a large degree hopeless in, in solving such problems, which are only slightly more sophisticated uh, visual problems than... than, than uh, the simple classification.
0: Do you think there is a risk? And by risk, of course, I quote myself um, that artificial intelligence will take a step back into pure research, other than commercial projects.
1: Well, I think I think it's it's just a question of whether there's going to be a commercial success. And um, there's some commercial success. And there's uh, for sure there's certain applications which 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 really work very well. Um, I mean, even look at Google and their image search uh, and their translation, that's, that's, that's the stuff is much better than it used to be. So there's definitely a commercial success. And these companies that actually had made such a such a success and made a lot of money on, on that, those improvements will probably keep investing in the technology, which I think it's a, it's a logical thing. Now, they might still be discouraged for a while when they realize that they need to move really forward. And it might be the case that, you know, deep learning or AI in general needs to go back to the lab and stay there for another 10 years before there's another major commercial success. That very likely might be the case. Now, of course, again, that might create a um an ai winter if these uh these very high expectations uh eventually are not satisfied and investors start the investors start pulling money um you know let's say into something else maybe there's something else that's gonna be hot in in five or ten years and that money might just go elsewhere and uh in order for to keep the money the 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 ai stuff needs to deliver promises
0: yeah it makes sense philip it was very nice to have you here again i really appreciate how even after almost two years you keep staying grounded with ai i think it is very important to interpret results and findings in artificial intelligence with extra care as you also mentioned in the episode in both of them in fact no you know, you know not, not not to spread a false and misleading statements that will not only affect the reputation of you know this and that author who made that claim but i'm also afraid that could affect the credibility of the entire community so thank you very much for your words and for your time and uh, i wish you a wonderful 2020
1: well, I wish you a wonderful 2022. Uh, and definitely, it's, it's going to be definitely interesting in, in the space of AI. I mean, recent recent re- years were definitely uh, quite, quite interesting. And some of the things I think were silly. Some of the things were interesting. Let's just hope there's going to be more interesting things than silly things.
0: Yeah. Let's finish this year with a positive attitude. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Bye-bye. This was the last episode of 2019. What a wonderful year. Data Science at Home has been nominated in the top 10 best technology podcasts. And that was because of you who inspire me and motivate me to improve the quality of each episode. Thank you all for that. My plan for 2020 is to make more episodes in machine learning and artificial intelligence with the hope you find them interesting for your personal and professional growth. What's your plan? Come join me on our Discord channel, where you can chat with us, discuss the previous episodes and yeah, propose new ones. I'm sure there is that topic you would love to know more about. Thanks again for being here, I wish you all a wonderful 2020. Ciao!